I feel like, especially in this day and age, is that, you know, the the producers kind of feel like, you know, we make, we just make great music and then that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just get discovered, you know, cause I would got it. A, it was funny. There was an argument about, um, not an argument, but kind of like a thing I was pushing back on. in one of my posts about the email marketing and the guy was like, well, I just, you know, make great music and people just put it out there and people discover me. And, and I'm like, how's that really working for you? And I said, seems to be working fine. Like, but he's also uh, then I got it out of him. He's treated it's just music his hobby. So, oh, gotcha. <laughs> so and like, then how many followers does he have? Not, right? Yeah. So, so that's kind of. <laughs> I mean, not that that's the only metric. But. Yeah, but that's a, my. That's an issue. Is your mind blown? Stick around if you want to learn how your music is not the end product; it's actually the offer. Have you found yourself questioning what it takes to make it in the music industry? Does it feel like there is some secret successful producers know that you don't? This is the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real sustainable success from the inside out. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I have Adam back on the show with me today, and this is part three of the Four Pillars mini-series. Say hi, Adam. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Oh my god, this is my favorite part. We actually get to discuss music today. Yay! Well, (laughs) maybe not. Sort of. of. We get to talk about music, right? It's always fun. Yeah. Um, This is a music podcast, after all, right? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, kind of. We're, We're here talking about business, right? That's the modern producer's secret is business, understanding business. I feel like most people who get into the music industry come into it from the angle of music. They don't come into it from a business perspective. Well, we have to learn business stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I think music, why music is also an, uh, we're going to kind of go into this a little bit more and, but, uh, but at the end of the day and why we talk about four pillars is that, you know, you need to have all these four things working together and one of them and what we're talking about today is music obviously you have to be good at what you do you have to create a a you know a good product as a as a music producer um but mm-hmm. but it's a little bit more than that so i think a lot of people in the, especially in our industry feel like you know we just make good music and then it will just sell itself and fortunately it doesn't work that way so no <laughs> Yeah, you actually, you dropped a bomb in the last episode. Music is the offer. Wait, hold on. (laughs) Music is the offer? So that's the cornerstone of today's topic, you know, in this Four Pillars miniseries. But I kind of want to just dig that apart uh, as we go on. That's just crazy. Wait, music isn't the product, it's the offer. Can you you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, so when you think, think about what you do as a music producer, obviously you create music, right? So... But that's not really something that differentiates you as a producer and, and stand out from the marketplace. Obviously, maybe, you know, you're, you're obviously, yes, your song is kind of like an original creation and the way you're putting chords and melodies and harmonies together in, in music and lyric, you know, the music and lyrics um, aspect and the performance. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, the if you're if you're taking on the role of also the producer songwriter for example so so that means that you're kind of approaching you know wearing all the hats so to speak so if you 
are creating something new, um, obviously that's kind of the the end product. But in order to kind of sell and monetize that product, actually have to treat it. You have to position it as what what it, well what's the actual offer what is what is this what's the vision behind this project that is going to bring something new you know just for the sake of of you know writing a song you know i i think because because the thing is is that we're music you know especially with streaming music is is a commodity at this point so oh so, you know like mm-hmm. how do you i differentiate my um, my music from everything else that's out there. It's not a, the music alone isn't enough. So that's why I said, actually, your music kind of has to wrap in uh, with with an offer. I like to do this sort of like mental exercise. I try to think of my music catalog as my my resume, my business resume, right? Like if I'm going to go apply for a job, well, I want to make sure my resume hits on the point with every single thing that that company is looking for and well in the in the music business world as a producer you have to make your offer your your music catalog has to align with the people you're trying to attract and if you're trying to make commercial jingles to sell to coca-cola well your body of work had better speak to the fact that hey i do commercial jingles that sound like it would totally fit with a coca-cola branded commercial so (laughs) those are the type of things that people we'll start to look for. And we can dive into the weeds on what types of producers are out there. Cause obviously the music industry is very wide and vast. There are going to be points where you're going to have to like, Hey, maybe this section of this podcast will only appeal to a specific set of people, but we're trying to give you overarching things that will help you build your own vision for what type of career path you want to take. That's what we're going to talk about here. I kind of wanted to tee that off because, you know, when we talk about this, from from your goal uh, as a music producer of any sort, whether it's, you know, I want to be a media composer for, you know, library music, or I want to be a vocal producer that does, you know, vocal coaching for all of your artists uh, in whatever genre you're, you're serving. Your goal is to be prolific, which means you have to constantly put out content in your, your business is to create the music is to create the content. Uh, the music itself is just a product. It has a shelf life, which means like it's only valuable for so long. If you if you think that, you know, hey, I'm going to make one song and that song's going to be my legacy. Uh, those days are gone. That's where I kind of wanted to lead up to. And I kind of want to discuss this this rat race for a minute. Adam, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's something else. It's crazy. I think we're kind of all wanting to, you know, have that hit or be the billboard a charting producer, the multi-platinum selling producer. But uh, I think a lot of us kind of just, you know, the the aspirational goal. And then I think we kind of, at, at some point, we accept that it's it's not going to happen overnight, if, if at all. So either, uh, I think there's kind of like two separate paths that, that producers tend to go as one is, is kind of if they're not going to be able to achieve the Grammy or the you know, the multi-platinum selling status, then the alternative is then, okay, then just kind of accept that music is going to be just your hobby. Or the alternative is is kind of the way that, mm-hmm. that I approached my music business is that, you know, I don't need to have these things. Like, I don't need to, 
be a multi-platinum selling producer. I don't need to have a billboard hit. I don't need to have a Grammy in order to make money from my music um, and my production skills. So, uh, <laughs> so then you find you create your own opportunities, find different ways to you know monetize those skills, and and that all comes down to your offer. I mean, because and what I was kind of getting at is that you know I think a lot of times as music producers, we, we try to sell a product, which is our, you know, our music and, and you're in reality, you can have the best product in the world, but if nobody knows about it or, or serve a purpose or, or solve a problem for somebody, then, you know, your product's not going to sell. So, you know, you can be the best producer in the world, but, and I guess the other, the other thing too, is like, I think, you know, and what I was mentioned earlier about, you know, producers thinking that if we just make dope beats and <laughs> everything's going to take care of the rest, it does just doesn't work that way. And I think, you know, another way to 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 look at it is if a tree, you know, falls in the forest, does it make a sound? And I guess uh, in our context is, is that if a producer is in his studio and he makes a beat does and nobody's around to hear it so so i mean yeah i mean guess- I, I, I think this comes back to like the mindset episode because you know we we're facing this societal belief meaning like it's just being passed on through society that the public perception is that in order to make it you first have to make a hit and then suddenly you have a legacy but that's not the case mm-hmm um, you know, we, we will compare it now. Problem number one is society keeps basing its model of the music industry on the past because we've we only have the past to look onto to build the model from, right? So people who aren't aware of how the music industry is actually working today, we just think like you know, oh look at ACDC, look at Michael Jackson. Like there aren't these big powerhouse names being replaced by newer generations of international superstar icons. That era is passing. But the good news is that the old empire, you know, that that era passing means that while the, the gates have opened and now there's a lot more people who can build a legacy for themselves, they may not be international superstar sensations, but they can build a sustainable career and make a living off of it. I know people who are doing music and releasing it just to Spotify and actually making a living just off the Spotify income alone like enough to actually be at it full time, which is, you know what, maybe that's your goal. If your aspiration is to just be at that level, that's totally fine. There's no shame in like, Hey, I just want to make enough to make a living at my music and, and go at that route. Totally fine. But the level of your vision will determine how big you can ever grow. And if your vision stays small, well, then you're only ever going to stay as big as your vision can possibly fit. Mm. So problem number two is that, you know, I just mentioned it, music producers need to be prolific, meaning they're constantly putting out great content. But perhaps we should back it up and just clarify what that means, you know, being a modern producer means. The term producer is still extremely nebulous. So maybe we should just kind of discuss that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What 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 do you think of a, what does a modern producer mean to you? Oh, man. Cameron, I'll so, turn it back on you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many different ways that we can go about what a producer is, but essentially the producer is the the person who actually is in charge of making the idea a reality. And there are different categories of producers. Like we have the full stack producer, meaning like, Hey, 
I, I write the composition, the arrangement. I, you know, actually pick all the sounds and sound design. I'm recording everything or, you know, just synthesizing everything in my DAW. I'm coming up with the end product by myself, or I might have a team, but that's essentially what the full stack producer is, is they, they get from point A to point Z and they're basically in charge of every stop in between. There are specialist producers though. You know, there's um, the vocalist producer, like I mentioned, there might be, um, um, I know at the label level, there are executive producers and their associate producers. So there's essentially people who are in charge of scheduling and the budget and making sure that they're basically like a project manager. They keep everything on track and they're just there to help bridge and be an ambassador between the artist and like the recording studio engineers or the label uh, executives and kind of represent the go-between for everybody. There's so many different specializations in this industry that there is absolutely room to specialize because we need to. Depending on whatever level you want to play at, there is a role that you can fill and the demand is there. So we just have to have the vision for where we want to take it. But being a producer means much more than just having the musical vision. For most of us out there, we think, oh, it's just beat making, right? Uh, or, you know, I'm going let me write my lyrics and rap and I'll, I'll put it over this beat and we'll be good to go. It's also about having a mind for the business flow and the budgeting. So a great producer, like I said, is also a project manager. I'll be honest because I feel like I've failed as a producer because I haven't been putting out music. You know, in the last few years, we had Pollux and Caster as our debut stuff. And we had maybe three releases out of what 90 plus tracks that we've written over the years. And that was all we put out because <laughs> we both moved away and we kind of went on hiatus. I've been doing stuff for other artists, but it hasn't been as much as, you know, my own voice in, in the, uh, the brand of Pollux and Caster. So it kind of gives me the, a little bit of imposter syndrome to try to talk about this podcast, you know, this episode, but I'd rather just be honest with you guys and share where my journey is because those are the lessons I've had to learn. I specialize more in mastering and coaching. I've been able to find my voice in these avenues and help other artists find their path. But as a producer, you're going to be responsible for all the content that is the legacy that you create for I, yourself. I will say, though, Cameron, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, though, when you said a, a modern producer is a project manager, because I think, you know, and I hear where you're talking about not having have worked on Pollux and Caster in a while and working on other projects. I think that is kind of a, a danger. I think a lot of producers coming up these days, I think, because we all start as the artist producer, I think, or at least the vast majority of us mm -hmm. start as the artist producer, meaning that we're, we have our own artistic project and then, and then, you know, realize that you can't only, you know, for many of us, you know, for, for, for some that actually absolutely works. You can just do your own, be a self-producing artist and, and it actually works for you, but but the vast majority of us, it doesn't work <laughs> to just only have an artist project. So, and, and, <laughs> I mean, for me, it never worked. So, I mean, to only have only be a composer, then only doing my own artist project, and then realizing, you know, well, I'm actually, you know, have to be a become a modern producer and produce for other artists as well. So, I think the the definition mm -hmm. of a modern producer really is is that project manager it doesn't matter if you're working on your own artist project your own you know or, or projects for others or you know or doing something that's kind of 
you know, like you're organizing a project, you know, for uh, putting people together, like maybe you're right. outsourcing the engineer, you know, or, you know, you're hiring a mastering engineer, you know, like with my label, I hired you, Cameron, as the mastering engineer. So because I didn't want to mm-hmm. do it anymore. So, so I mean, but that doesn't mean I'm still not a producer, you know what I mean? So I think people kind of define, you know, themselves, well, what a very you know, very narrowly what, what a producer actually is. And and that's why I said, I think it's kind of mm-hmm. like, a, a, you know, you have the full stack producer and then you have the specialized producer and then you have the modern producer, which is kind of an hybridization of the two. But it's all about kind of still skill stacking. And, and we talk about this a lot and it's kind of, you know, being, you know, the, the modern producer is kind of focused on providing solutions, right? So, um, so you kind of, depending on what project you're taking on, you're the visionary for that project. So, so I think, mm-hmm. um, once you kind of understand that, then you can start and the value that you're creating, then you can start charging for those services that you provide at, at that point. So. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, like you mentioned, we all start out as the artist, like we're going to self-produce, right? Mm-hmm. And that might help us discover our gift. We don't have to be good at everything. We don't have to be like, oh my God, it has to be my brand. And I carried that that mindset for myself for a while with with Pollux and Caster. Like I said, we did nine years with, with me and Steven, just collaborating together, but not really putting anything out. But that really helped me discover my own gifts, my own passions. And what I was really good at was engineering. So I can bring those value to like that value as a mastering engineer, I can bring to other artists and say, Hey, you know, I, I produce myself and here's, here's my body of work that shows I'm capable of this. And, you know, let me master for you. And that that's how I'm able to attract the clients that I bring in is because, you know, people love the sound that I'm able to do for, for Pollux and Caster, or now these other clients that I've done mastering for. And maybe your gift is mixing. Maybe your gift is sound design. It doesn't have to be, I have to be able to produce entire songs. Your primary gift might be like, um, uh, I can't remember the the guy's name, um, Richard Devine. So he is a well-known sound designer and preset maker. A lot of the plugins, like the, the famous scents out there have had either factory, you know, presets made by Richard Devine. Um, he's been hired by like Microsoft and Apple to make sounds specifically branded sounds for their like operating systems and things like that. They use them wherever it's part of their, their, their company ecosystem, but he gets hired by top companies like that. You know, I'll, I'll take Andrew Huang, for example, he's a, a great content creator out there on YouTube. And he put out a recent YouTube vlog and it says, uh, it's called don't do this if you want a successful music career, but he's basically poking fun at himself. Because the way he described his success was that he realized he had to get clear on his message. And that was last episode we talked about messaging. And his message was his brand, all of the content that he puts out. And once he dialed in the message, that's, you know, that he's the the weird guy that makes weird music. <laughs> he wanted to like eschew labels and genres. He didn't want to be pigeonholed for any one thing. And so he just started putting out video content of how he made, you know, his documenting his process. He didn't stick to one genre. He wanted to just be, you know, make weird music. And so he had a really hard time trying to grow that brand until his vision became cohesive enough that he was able to start 
attracting big brands to do one-off creative projects like Target, for example. They had an ad that he got to write music and create a custom composition for. So he just documented and shared his process. But even more importantly, it was his direct audience was his primary source. He delivers content for his audience. He even cited these core tenets that we're discussing in this mini-series as the linchpin that he attributes to that success as staying focused on the music. He's become prolific at putting out content consistently, and his music demonstrates his offer very clearly. So, Adam, just how is music the offer? If we're if we're gonna dive into it, can you kind of just elaborate on, on maybe what the, the, the psychological mechanics of that is? Well, I guess the the key difference is how you kind of des- describe or position one versus the other, you know, an auth- offering is, you know, is in terms mm-hmm. of the customer value, um, why they need it. Whereas, you know, the product is just it describes what it does. I guess another way to look at it is how you take what you do to market and that's kind of how what businesses do you know yes they 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 made up a, a pen or something like that right so how do you you know what does it you, when you describe the you know the at the end of the day the product just you know or i mean the pencil you just or you know or pen you just write you know write something with it, right <laughs> but you know the the feel the the you know the grip is it a felt tip or the, ink is it, pen yeah, yeah those kind of differentiating factors and and what it kind of you know what is the kind of the end result it's kind of gonna is how you how you sell that product or, or service you're creating right? an experience yeah exactly so it's it's a little bit more about that in terms of your music and in the way I, I i think the way uh, that helps me kind of kind of contextualize it is that you know as a producer i have uh you know have these different things that i do whether it's you know making you know, sample packs, whether it's uh, writing custom beats, doing full songs, you know, whether it's vocal production, these kind of things, they're kind of on this, there's there's this concept called the value ladder Mm -hmm. in business. And that's kind of your setting up your products as as different as different offers um so along the continuum of of your of the value ladder and why they call it a value ladder is is as the value increases so does the price right so you can Mm -hmm. start Mm -hmm. with these smaller um you know products and services like a sample pack or beat licensing you know you know five beats that you don't that aren't custom you know and then you kind of leading leading the the customer up this value ladder like the the stack stack to Mm -hmm. the bigger project which is gonna pay you more which is the fully produced song right so like custom one-off just for that yeah exactly so that's that's kind of i feel like what's missing when a producer like because i think you kind of get you kind of have to actually sit down and map that out like kind of like what is Mm -hmm. the the customer journey for for you like as a producer like why you know when what what's kind of leading them up that uh that value ladder so to speak yeah and i feel like that the value ladder is kind of it's kind of helping you separate the clients that are ready to buy now from the clients that might be ready to buy exactly so you have the turtle and the hair approach and i've heard this talked about on several other business podcasts where um, you have this coattail effect you have people who are ready to buy right now the message hit them at the right time the right place and it's the right thing you're selling to them. They're in alignment completely. 
So you're just like, okay, how do I buy? Buy, 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 buy. Let's buy now. I'm good. I'm ready to go. I know exactly what I want. And that's you're the one that is offering it and providing it. The people who are on the fence might be ready to buy from you later. They're just not ready to buy now. You can keep yourself top of mind by offering other smaller offers or cross sells, or you know you can upsell mm-hmm. them later by offering these secondary products, and they are they're, they're called ancillary revenue models. So that's the primary revenue model is your big ticket item. That's your big drive or pusher. That's the one that's generating most of your revenue. And then the ancillary revenue models, so like the arm of the business, would be. Yeah, maybe I make sample packs or sound design presets on the side and I sell those ad hoc. Like it's just on my website, it's passive income. I can market those a little bit and they they keep me top of mind for when people are ready to like reach out to me and do custom sound design projects. Yeah, you bring up a good point because I feel like this is definitely where most people start to get tripped up is they don't have the vision (laughs) for all that. But even before we get there, when we talk about what the offer is, I kind of want to just dissect that a little bit more. And I think about, you know, we mentioned experience and because music can ex- be experienced in so many different contexts or so, so many different ways, let's just kind of identify a couple of different ones. Let's say you want to be a media composer or a film composer. And so the context in which we experience something that moves us, like when I heard Hans Zimmer's music for the first time, I forget what film it was, but obviously he is a very prolific film composer. He is known in the industry by so many, because he just makes this very beautiful, moving music. It creates an experience. It creates an emotional reaction that people obviously love. They, they connect with it and it resonates with them. And so that becomes Hans Brand. He makes very cinematic, epic music that appeals to a very wide range of you know films. And so film producers will then go look him up And he's able to command a price because he's positioned himself so well. However we experience it, when we're talking about actually experiencing the music, maybe you're on SoundCloud, maybe you're on Spotify, and you come across this artist and you just happen to resonate with the song that you're listening to. Well, guess what? You hit follow. That's the very first step. You're now a passive follower of this this artist, of this brand. The next step up from that is starting to Look at more about what they do. So you're just following them along the journey until you find something where you turn them in to uh, you turn them from an audience member, like a passive listener, to an actual fan or somebody who really loves what you do, and that's where you start to get more in alignment with. And so let's look at the voice for example. The clearer your offer is, the more focused your audience will be in alignment with who you want to attract. Meaning your offer, the music itself, as they experience it, the clearer it is that you you do what you do really well, the clearer it will be who your audience is attracting. So when we look at the voice, the you know, the, the show, they have arguably the world's top vocalists coming onto the show and often representing completely different genres. So like season twenty-one had Ariana Grande debut as a coach on the show, and then she had to go up against like John Legend, Kelly Clarkson, Blake Shelton. Each one of them is well known for a certain style of music or musical flavor with very little overlap. Like they don't really tread on each other's styles of music. They're not really known in those genres. I felt like John Legend was kind of a mixed bag in terms of like who he was trying to pick, who he was going after, uh, and what artistic styles he was willing to coach because he's so pigeonholed for what he's most known for. And he was picking people kind of outside of his wheelhouse. Ariana, on the other hand, she's stuck to her core offer. She does vocal harmonies in pop. 
Yes, she can coach a range of people, but she knew herself and she knew her strengths. So I feel like she did. She made very conscious decisions about who she went after to coach on the show. If you listening to this podcast right now, you recognize those names. I'm almost certain you know what brand Ariana is representing. (laughs) That's how clear her offer is and her music demonstrates it very clearly. So we would be remiss if we didn't discuss at least a little about the music itself. Right, Adam? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, we got to have quality in there somewhere. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, yes, your product has to sound good, but good is a funny term here. New will always replace what's good, but it can take years to happen if you're too far ahead of the trend. And we kind of get caught in the weeds. We, you know, popularizing a new genre is not the same thing as starting a new genre. And I think a lot of people tend to assume that you have to just be the first at something to become known for it. Take dubstep, for example. It wasn't until, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his actual name, (laughs) (laughs) but um, when they were popularizing dub, you know, dub was kind of like this reggae thing that had been happening overseas for a while, but what brought it to the US and really kind of exploded it, oh, now I can't even think of his artist name. (laughs) (laughs) I know you know who I'm talking about. Skrillex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. The, yeah. Skrillex. I, oh, him. Sunny. <laughs> Sunny something. Yeah. I, yeah, I was trying to remember his, his real name. But, you know, he, he basically heard what Dub was doing and, and tried to mimic that and put his own spin on it. So he wasn't the first, but he definitely was the one to popularize it in a certain sense. He brought it to the masses. I don't know if that's just because Dub was kind of making its way over to the States and it just wasn't... You know, it was it was too far ahead of its time, or the people weren't ready for it. But as it became a little bit more mainstream, like people started hearing it more, all of a sudden Skrillex came out with stuff, and all and then it just took off. Whether you're an artist or a producer, if you're trying to be on the very cusp of things, I feel like you you definitely want to start paying attention to what's already trending in the industry. You don't have to be reinventing the wheel all the time. You just want to kind of pay attention to what's trending. And that's when we're talking about music quality and we're treading that line between what's good and what's new, you don't have to tweak everything. I'll equate it to a, um, I was watching a composer training on arrangement and composition, and he likened it to this illustration of, let's say you're walking your best friend down a hallway and they're blindfolded. And you've aligned all of these things on the floor. And you said, you can't step on any of those things. You just have to make it from this end of the hall to the other end of the hall. And the problem with that is when you say you can't step on any of these things, and you can't touch the walls. People are very hesitant. They might not even move. They won't take a first step because they're afraid of like, okay, well, I guess I can't step on anything. I can't see where I'm going. That's essentially akin to writing something that is so unfor- you know, unfamiliar and very foreign it's so new. Everything is different. The arrangement doesn't do anything that people anticipate. Switch the scenario. All we're going to do is say, take my hand and I will guide you. And the same rules still apply, but you're leading them now. You've got their hand in your hand. And as you're walking, they're going to take steps a lot less resistance than if they're trying to do it on their own. Now, when we're writing music, we're kind of borrowing on all of these cultural idioms. We're borrowing on things that feel familiar. So you have to be right at that cusp. You can, you can leverage this sort of like, Hey, we're in between what's new and what's familiar. You just have to be familiar enough to show them something new. 
and sprinkle a little bit of that newness, something that's different in there. And that enough will create the demand for, for the music and quality. I feel like we often attribute to things like sound design, mixing, mastering, like all of these things that go into the production. And we get so focused on like, in order for it to sound good, it has to be loud. I don't, I don't think that's the case. What do you think, Adam? Well, I, I mean, I guess I, I maybe want to back up a little bit with what you were saying with bringing up Skrillex is that, you know, yes, I guess in many sense, he's, he's an innovator, but also too, I feel like the, the reason why uh, the part of his success had to do is, is actually knowing his audience, you know, cause they were actually mm-hmm. looking for, for that, for something like, like it to fit yeah. and he could, he figured out what that was and he was able to bring that to the audience. And, and I think it kind of makes sense that he came from, he was in a metal band, right? Cause I think they're, uh, yeah. metal, you know, tends to be a little bit more experimental at time B, um, or at least there's mm-hmm. a little bit more openness to experimentation and, and innovation. At least that's what I'm noticing. Uh, or just in my perception of, of, you know, knowing, you know, how, you know, just over the years of, of, you know, listening to all styles and music and genres, uh, really the, the innovation kind of happens. I think people are kind of, a lot of producers get in, get, get fall in their trap too, of like, oh, I have to be innovative and have to bring something new to the table. But I think the, the innovation happens when you provide a solution to a problem that exists right you know because because i think that's that's where Mm -hmm. you know rather than going looking like well how can i make something new how can i do this tweak in this sound to you know something that's going to blow everybody's freaking minds because it sounds like something they never heard (laughs) but if your audience isn't ready for that i mean you know you kind of have to know when when to be an innovator and when to kind of having that balance of what's what's trending and that's why i think i think it's important and can't stress this enough and i think you know it's something that producers often overlook is is the importance of using reference tracks right i think we forget about that at times like no i want to be inventive and i want to change you know things up and so i'm not going to listen to what's popular out there and i mean that's how you present yourself and and put yourself in demand because i think if you're on if you know what's happening i mean an artist is going to come to you as a producer and want to work with you because you're in tune with what's happening and what's what's going to sell i'll I'll give you a really good example of of one of our we in our last producer roundtable in our at the Music Producers Alliance with one of our our students, um, Tyler, who's a mixing engineer, and he actually works his his studio. He he's the mix engineer, and then he has a partner that's uh, the producer and the, and the beat maker. So they're kind of working together a duo, which is pretty cool. Um, but he he was kind of work. He was mentioning he's working with a, a mixing client. He wanted you know, something that was, um, you know, kind of like the Led Zeppelin vibe or something for what his client was looking for that production. But then, you know, that is super dated, right? I mean, that's not that that recording style. If you put a Led Zeppelin album on and, and put it with something that's that's new, that's not modern production. So it's not going to compete 
in the marketplace. So what the client ended up wanting was something that had the vibe of Lev Zeppelin, but had a modern production. So as a producer, he was able to bring in, um, you know, bring in a more modern track that was very similar, you know, to to Led Zeppelin, but and have that vibe, but it had modern production on it. I forget <laughs> what the what the re, what the reference was, but um, the point was is that you know going back to the client and giving them other reference tracks. Like sometimes they give you reference tracks to mm-hmm. that they, but what they're really looking for is that vibe. So it's kind of your job, and and, and I think he was kind of like I felt like. As a as a mix engineer, I felt like that old method of of mixing is is not, you know, it's gonna you know be. If I put out a record that sounded like that, then other people are gonna that. It just sounds dated. Yeah, it sounds dated. It doesn't. <laughs> they don't know the context of that. So mm-hmm. then somebody else that's looking to hire me, they're gonna say, "Oh, you're kind of you know outdated and stuff." And I think. It's interesting because we also have this, you know, conversation a lot. Is that Flavia, one of the mentors at the Music Producers Alliance, you know, w- works with a lot of um, Grammy mix engineers and stuff like that. And in, in LA, you know, she notices that the ones that stay top of mind, that stay competitive, are the ones that are open and, and know what what the trends are in the music industry, uh, as opposed in what artists are hot, what are kind of the production techniques used in 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 there and the ones that sound you know dated are the ones that are slowly not you know are starting getting pushed out mm-hmm. of the industry exactly. so <laughs> and really kind of where where i you know where you solve this problem this dilemma like this existential threat threat basically <laughs> of like your sustainability as a producer is that you just gotta listen to music you know yeah, that's what you that's current Current, you got to keep know? on the tip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I and I, I think that's the challenge at any level of business. Like we can compare ourselves to like, you know, CLA or, you know, all these legendary names, but even at their level, like, yeah, they've been around the industry forever and they're, they're a top brand, but they still have challenges on the day to day. They, they still face the same things. Like, am I going to be irrelevant with this project? You're, you know, maybe it's not as successful of a hit as, you know, his other projects, but that happens. Like not every project is going to be a major hit. That's not how you stay top of mind. You just, Mm -hmm. you can still have relevance without being number one every single time. You're not going to be a chart topping producer with every single song you put out, but the overall brand, as long as you stay on point and consistent, this is how CLA has been able to, you know, build his legacy is he's known in the rock world very well. And he stays on point with, and you know, what, where the, uh, the thing that I was trying to point out earlier was that, yeah, it might be super easy if you're, if you're producing in a vacuum and you start, you know, getting bored of like, well, I'm producing the exact same arrangement every single time. Let me start flipping it up. You know, I, I remember having talks with, um, Mark Sobieraski without a chord about, you know, his style of music. He produces a very different style of music is very niche. It's like Baroque. EDM infused metal. And it's, it's awesome. I love his style of music, but he definitely gets bored very quickly of arranging the same ways or composing the same ways. He likes to change it up because ultimately he is producing his own music. It's very easy to get jaded as a producer and start wanting to like, 
I want to experience new things and different things. And then you're seeking that for yourself, but your audience isn't ready for it. And that's where we had that disconnect. And I think that's where a lot of people start, you know, especially if you've been in the, in the music industry for a while, whether you're still just trying to aspire to a career or if you're already in it in all the way in it and doing it full time, those are the things that we kind of just, we have to be self-aware of. I mentioned also like, you know, what are some things that um, the core tenets of how your music can become in demand? And we, we kind of just danced around it already, but the production quality is at least on par with what's trending in the, the genre right now. So if you know your genre, you know what you're trying to go for, at least be aware of what's trending. And then you can add some unique trait or a twist on those trends. And that's what helps separate you from other brands in the same genre. That market separation is how you're going to be able to command your own price and build a unique offer. Otherwise, then, yeah, people start to shopping by commoditized pricing. We talked about this in the other episode. If there are multiple offers and they're identical and people can't tell them apart wholly, like easily tell them apart, well, this does X and this does Y and there's no overlap. But if they both do X it may be slightly different, they're going to shop by price. That's just the default human nature. That's what we go to. And now you're commoditized. But if you can differentiate yourself and make that offer so unique that you can't be compared to product Y, then that's how you're able to command your price. So what about mixing and mastering? Like, you know, do we have to pay attention to what's trending there? I, I guess, well, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, because, you know, you look at a Disclosure album or something like that, the type vocal, the vocal mm. production is extremely tight on that. So you can really learn a lot and kind of that's what, what people's ears are started, you know, more accustomed to. So, I mean, like you listen, uh, another way to look at it is I think, in terms of uh, on a technical aspect in terms of like you know using vocals as an example like DSing and and uh a vocal alignment and stuff like that you can really tell mm-hmm. like the technology has has changed so much in the last 10 years so if you listen to records that are from 10 years ago like the vocal alignment is slightly off but I, I, and you can kind of hear that and most most people like average people aren't going to know that, but they're going to say it sounds dated. And the reason is, is because <laughs> there's, you know, as technology is getting better and the vocals are kind of more aligned and more in tuned and more, you know, uh, more produced, the way they perceive music has changed, you know, because of, uh, and, and that's what's kind of, it, it's dangerous and it's also exciting at the same time because we're kind of, influencing yeah. <laughs> how music is perceived in the world you know just by our the way we'll just look at like it. like we mentioned american idol and the voice like these shows like even live broadcasts they have pitch correction modules on their voices in real time and they've gotten extremely low latency and they're really good at you know real time pitch correcting the voice and we're so accustomed to that in the u.s especially i feel that if somebody were to hear the natural untuned performance even for amazing vocalists like Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she probably is an incredibly you know centered pitch. Like she's amazing vocal control, but she's not a perfect 100% of the time. But when you listen back to those broadcasts, even for live concerts, they have pitch correction in their, their mixing. That's just how it is nowadays, especially for Western culture. We're just so accustomed to that, that if you were to try to take that away, suddenly people would... They would notice because it's so different. It's noticeably different. We're so used to it. 
when we start talking about things like this, then yeah, mixing and mastering mm-hmm. do play a role. But if we we're talking about, let's say the loudness war, for example, at the end of the day, no one ever turned away from a song because it mm-hmm. wasn't loud enough. <laughs> right. Um, when the music resonates with an audience, they'll learn, uh, you know, they'll lean in and turn it up if they want it louder. When it doesn't resonate with them, the easiest option is always just to switch to another song. So those are the binary binary choices that our audience makes, whether it's a conscious decision or a subconscious motivation. So mixing and mastering are both crafts that can be learned, but even they lean on taste and are subject to t- change as our societal tastes move. And it, it's not, we don't just have these static, like, yeah, we all know what's popular and what is, you know, sounding good, the, but the, the good trend changes and, and it, it does move. Yeah. And this is kind of what we're, we're, what we've been getting at, I think is that in why I say, you know, your music needs to be an offer, not a product mm-hmm. is that if you're focused on the product like that, you know, you're, you're making it so that it, it's, it sounds the best it can. You're, you're getting fixated on the loudness war you're getting fixated on you know like the the way where you're rolling off you know where you're doing high pass and and you know your folk you know as a producer if you get trapped in in these these you know in in this perfectionism or this like you know i want the product to be the best it 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 can be it's i'm sorry but it's not going to sell you know the way you position your music and where it becomes you know why it needs to be an offer is like you have to remember what you know as what whether or not you're self-producing artist or a producing us you know what is the outcome that you're helping the artist achieve you know and then what objections do they have about the solution you buy you know what is it what is unique about you what do you stand for against what makes you different what have you and or your past clients have accomplished that you can brag about you know in terms of of the production it's like well i worked like we were saying it's like i worked with this one client that wanted you know wanted this led zeppelin sound but it sounded dated and it was not going to get placed so you know we i gave him some other reference tracks to listen to um and you know then we were able to get it placed you know um in you know for sync placements or something like that that's awesome um yeah. No, I'm using this as an example. It's not like taking from from Tyler's. Mm-hmm. But still, that's Tyler's, good. <laughs> the taking example, one of our students, and kind of contextualize it like you know the thought process of you as as mm-hmm. the producer is that it, you're solving you're solving a problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you're not getting trapped in the technical aspect. Like we could get into an argument and saying, you know, why why does analog why does analog you know analog versus digital or something <laughs> like that. You know. That doesn't matter. It's like it's is it it what matters is the end result. Yeah, and I'll I'll take another example too. Who is it? Like when we're talking about the taste thing and moving, it's not like you have to be like totally on the tip. Like you have to hit this one hundred percent. You just have to be good enough. The when we're talking about music as the offer, you know, there's times where we can actually cite that that people have kind of. Mm-hmm missed the mark with their audience and it, uh, it wasn't elenium it was somebody else there was like a, a big big name trap producer and he was starting to like change direction he was uh like a sophomore oh, album yeah. he wanted to put out and he debuted it at his show and everybody mm-hmm. went to his show for the trap like and trap is also kind of notorious for the you know the head the hardcore headbangers that just want to listen to trap they don't they're not they don't want to listen to anything else they just want right. trap <laughs> 
and he got booed off stage. <laughs> so his audience was not ready for that. And I thought, I think it was also just the way he went about that was mm-hmm. just, you know, he probably could have done it differently, obviously, but you know, he still survived. He's, he's still recovering from that, but I think he's, he's, it, it's not the end of his career because he missed the mark with that. We're going to have blunders. We're going to mess up, but let's take in contrast, let's take Lincoln park. Because if you look at their career, they've constantly tried to redefine themselves and follow their musical passion and interest and, and build a brand that ultimately went on to be very successful. And it started getting major license deals. Like obviously it was in Transformers movies. It was all over the licensing world because they wrote great songs and they they didn't let their audience, their their fans dictate their career path because yeah, they're going to lose fans. They're going to lose some people in the audience that only wanted to hear, you know, hybrid new metal, but new metal was kind of, you know, that was their first and second album, but they wanted to evolve. Yeah. You're going to lose some people, but you're going to gain so much more as you grow. Don't let that, you know, don't, don't let fear of that kind of rejection hold you back. If, if that's, if that's something you feel like, okay, well I'm going to be known as the trap artist. I just have to do this. Your messaging can be a part of your song. Like you were just mentioning, like everything in alignment, when you're talking about the message, is that in the music? Is that actually inside the music? Is that conveying who you are as a producer? Absolutely. But it also doesn't have to define you. You're allowed to grow. So just take people on the journey with you. One of the things that I also wanted to bring up was, you know, I think in terms of of your book itself, and and I think a lot of you know, we, you were mentioning earlier about having to, you know, uh, put out more content and actually keep, you know, keep producing and putting stuff out there. And I think, um, so how do you, I guess the question then becomes, mm. uh, how do you actually, you know, increase that speed and the output of your productions? Um, so, so I did want to, want to share, um, you know, this might be a good way we can, can can end the pod this episode is uh what i i like i always like you know uh you know different the different lists and stuff and like checklists and stuff like that and and i call this the seven secrets to increasing your speed and output of your productions so um (laughs) so yeah the first first one is is you create the main theme first um so that's kind of if if you're approaching you know, productions always create the the main theme first, um, and then the, the you know the second secret is is create a bunch of ideas uh, and then pick the best ones, and then the third is set limitations. This is where time boxing and in setting limits on time can be super effective in terms of finishing and putting stuff out there. Um, you know, is mm. set deadlines for yourself, and you know. Um, and so that's uh, definitely important. Uh, the fourth one is is you know uh, using loops and presets is not cheating. <laughs> nope, definitely not. <laughs> so use the the tools that are available to your advantage, and and this is why they exist. And it's not cheating, and this is how you be more productive um, with your productions. Mm-hmm. And number five is be organized. Um, if your if your hard drive is kind of uh, you know, the loops and samples are over to place. You don't know where to find things. It, it, you know, uh, you know, t- 
time. Now, if you spend time, more time searching for stuff than actually doing it, that's yeah, definitely going to take you out of the creative zone. <laughs> exactly. So you, the more you're organized, the more you can stay in the flow state. <laughs> and then um, number six is is uh, you don't need to master every skill. <laughs> so uh, it's true. You know, if you don't, you know, know uh, you don't want to spend time. You're not a good sound designer. You know, find either find a good sound designer. Uh, to work with or, you know, using those uh, patches and stuff like that, that you other sound designers have released, you know, there's no, you know, there's no harm in, in using that and, and leaning into the stuff that you are good at, and that will help you finish tracks faster. And then finally, number seven is find a supportive community of like-minded producers. And that's uh, kind of... Kind of why we exist at the Music Producers Alliance is, uh, you know, this is a community to uh, help, you know, music producers get uh, better at not only better at the craft, but uh, build a profitable business from from that craft. So, you no man is is an island, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't you don't have to go at it alone and you shouldn't go at at it alone, especially this, this day and age. So there are communities out there uh, like ours, uh, you know, uh, for example, so you can be a part of our community. Um, so I encourage you all to, to go to musicproducersalliance.com uh, to get started get, uh, and also join our Discord, uh, which is our free community. We do also have the mentoring program um, where we go into more depth and help you implement these four pillars um, of success as a modern producer. Um, so, but yeah, that that mentorship program is kind of like a more structured approach. Like you actually get a set number of coaching sessions and, and are a part of the, um, producer roundtables to, Mm -hmm. to like accelerate your feedback cycle, which is awesome. So those are the things to kind of look for because that's how the community really supports each other is that mastermind group is, is awesome. If you want to find us on discord, that's probably the easiest way in, uh, and we'll have all the show notes below and, um, definitely Go to musicproducersalliance.com and you'll be able to find all that info. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. This series has been incredible. I <laughs> I learned a ton. Well, we have one more, <laughs> one more pillar. So. And yeah. I don't know. For for me, it does feel like there are some crossover points because obviously we did we did touch on mindset. And you can see how all of these start to like overlap because yep. you really need to have your mindset on point when you're thinking about certain things in your messaging, in your music itself. When they're all in alignment, that's when things really start to click. And I know there are several of our students in the platform who can attest to this. But even in you know in the industry at large, if we look at some of the people that we idolize at the top of the industry mm-hmm. they mimic this model like they're just examples that this truly works yeah if you're if you're ready and you're you're like hey what do, how do i get started you can definitely adam where do they go to to start book a, a a session with you yeah so if you're interested in getting help with building your own profitable producer business then just go to uh, musicproducersalliance.com apply and uh book a call uh with me and uh will help you get clear on what's holding you back and uh, some of the ways that you can, um, you know, uh, uh, step in your zone of genius as a producer and and uh, start creating the life and income 
in music that you're you've been looking for and uh you know if it makes sense for us to work together um we'll definitely show you how that works and how our mentoring program works but uh either way you know the goal of this podcast and the goal of music producers alliance is to help producers uh point them in the right direction you know regardless of whether or not you know they decide to to work with us because uh you know as we as as i always say you know a rising tide lifts all boats Oh. Yep. And I think I also coined the other one for the, the Music Producers Alliance is better together. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> better together. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. You too. Wow. Congratulations for sticking around at the end of this episode. That was a lot to chew on. <laughs> Perhaps some of you are still a bit lost in this episode as we covered a lot of ground. You know, this is a bit more challenging to discuss because there's just so much breadth and depth to cover about being a modern producer and how the music is the offer. To recap, your offer will be unique to whom you're trying to serve. Your message as a brand can and should be built into the music itself. And when all these pillars are in alignment with each other, your offering will start to attract your true crowd, those who resonate with what you stand for. Of course, it goes without saying that you have to craft something that's at least on par with what's already considered quote-unquote, in good taste, by the target genre's market. But that doesn't mean you have to be a copycat. When you can find that core meaning behind your offer and build that into the music you create, you can still lean on reference tracks for what's hot right now to use that as scaffolding, you know, the foundational structure for your new ideas so that they still feel familiar to your audience. They just have to feel familiar enough to invite them along that journey with you. We can't believe it's already been two years of the Music Producers Alliance and a year of the podcast. I really want the podcast to continue growing, but we need your help to do that. Your input matters to us so that we understand you better and can provide you with the resources you need to grow as a music producer. That's why I'm running a giveaway and because I would love to hear more of your music, of course. Email podcast at modernproducersecrets.com with the subject line episode 10 contest and leave a review of the podcast you'll be entered into a mastering project giveaway. So be honest, share your likes, what we could do better, and what you'd like us to cover more of. We want to hear from you. The giveaway winner will be announced on episode 30. The cutoff date to enter is episode 29. So when episode 29 drops, any late entries will not be considered. We will reply to the winner via email, and the winner has 48 hours to respond. A new winner will be drawn from the remaining entries if you miss your window. I just want to help someone improve their production, so I'm open to any project, whether a single, an EP, or a full-length album. There are some particular limitations. There is no voucher to redeem at a later date, so you can't book this six-plus months out, but I am willing to be reasonably flexible and work with the winner. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance, an online community and professional development platform that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and mentoring to music creators at all skill levels. Find our mastermind group on Discord. Visit musicproducersalliance.com or find the link in the show notes to get started.